Let's pray. Our God and our Father, as we've just been singing, we want to give you praise that we have our Savior at your right hand in heaven, interceding for us, praying on our behalf. And Lord, that no tongue can bid us depart from there, nothing can bid us depart from there because of the victory he has won over sin and death. So Lord, as we come now to think again about this topic of rest, Lord, as we remember the victory he has won and the eternal life and joy and rest that he has won for us. Lord, would you help us to hear from you tonight? Lord, whatever it is you would say to each one of us through your word, Lord, may you give us hearts that are open to you for Jesus' sake. Amen. We live in a world of warnings, and they happen so often that maybe we don't even always notice them. Our cars warn us when something is wrong, when we need to check our engine or when the tire pressure changes or when a light isn't working, when our fuel is running low. Road signs warn us about potential dangers on the way ahead. Your phone provider might text you a warning if you're coming close to using up your monthly allowance. A friend might warn you about dangers like pickpockets or something in a, in a holiday destination. We get warned when a large vehicle is reversing. We get warned when a floor has been washed and it might be slippery. We even get warned in these days of health and safety when we're coming to the end of the escalator. And I've always thought that that is way over the top, but there you go. All of those warnings are meant to keep us safe, but they're only effective if we actually do something about them, aren't they? The check engine light is only effective if we actually get the car checked out. The slippery fall sign is only effective if we walk carefully. But I think one of the biggest dangers about ignoring these warning signs actually happens when we get away with it because we can become complacent. We get away with speeding or we risk dashing across the path of a reversing lorry and we get away with it. And the danger then becomes that we think we can always get away with it. A few years ago, um, I drove down to Dublin to pick up a few friends from the airport. And when I was leaving Belfast, this happened. The fuel light came on in the car. Now, I'm somebody who's pretty used to letting the fuel run pretty low. There's always a garage not too far away, isn't there? So when I got to Newry, the car said that it had zero miles left in the tank. And I thought to myself, Oh, there's always a bit of a cushion, isn't there? You know, it's not really zero. You can run on zero for a while. So I kept driving. I thought to myself, the first Apple Greens isn't that far over the border, is it? Because it's cheaper down there. So I kept going. And the road kept going, mile after mile, and no sign of this petrol station. And about 20 miles down the road, I was sweating. And I was debating to myself, do I drive at 60 and conserve fuel or do I drive at 70 and get there faster? All these things are going through my head. What am I going to do if I break down on the other side of the border? And it turns out that the Apple Greens at Castle Bellingham is 25 miles from Newry. And I made it. The car coughed as I pulled in to the petrol station, but I made it. But I have to say, I learned my lesson. I never let the car run just quite that low again because I was panicking. This can be a real danger for us too in the realm of rest because when we run on empty for a long time and maybe get away with it, it's dangerous because we think we can just continue to get away with it. 
Maybe, like me, we need that near miss of running out of fuel to, to spur us to do something about our busyness. Maybe for some of us, it actually takes us to run out completely to do something about our busyness. And admittedly, in my life, that's what it has taken for me to learn the importance of stopping. But one day that lorry will be reversing a bit faster than you thought. I know that's a cheery thought. One day the police will be out with a speed gun. One day the engine will conk out if you keep running on empty, if we ignore the warning signs. And I don't mean to sound really melodramatic tonight, but this series on rest really ought to have been a warning light on our dashboards. No matter what stage of life you're at, whether you're a busy person who runs on empty all the time, or whether you're in a quieter season of life, but you're not getting from rest the things that we've thought about over these last few weeks, then this series really ought to be a warning light. Hopefully it's an encouragement too, an encouragement to rest, but definitely a warning. And if you've missed one or maybe all of the previous three weeks, and I know some of you have, I'm, I'm wary of that tonight, I would really encourage you to get onto our podcast and listen to anything you've missed. Thanks to Andrew as usual for organizing that and Marty for putting them up. I'm not saying that I've presented this material well, Scott did. In fact, I'm sure that there are many people who could have presented it better than me, but nonetheless, it's a crucially important thing. We've seen that stopping is absolutely required. It's something that is about how we're wired. It's rooted in creation. It's rooted in our salvation too, as God has brought us into his rest. Rest helps us remember who we are, Scott reminded us, as covenant children of God, to remember that God has freed us, and to look forward, to remember to look forward to the glorious rest that is coming our way in the world to come. And so remembering who we are, freed by God, then, help, then rest helps us, I should say, to resist legalism, to embrace joy and grace. It refreshes our relationships with one another and with God. And so if those things sound like warning signs to you, if you hear those things that are on offer, but if those things currently aren't really a reality in your life, then I suppose I want to ask you a very simple question. What are you going to do about it? Will you ignore the warning lights or will you do something about it? James encourages his readers in verse 21 of chapter 1. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, I'm not sure if avoiding rest quite constitutes moral filth and evil, but I think the principle from this verse is actually the same. Get rid of what isn't godly, our busyness and our idolatry. Humbly accept the word planted in you. And if the word has taught us over the past three weeks that rest is important, then we should probably humbly accept that. James goes on, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in all they do. Don't think to yourself, that series on rest was quite interesting. I really must do something about that, but then never do anything about it. And again, I admit that I'm somebody who isn't very good at this, especially in this area. 
I told you three weeks ago that a friend of mine gave me a book a while back called The Rest of God. He gave it to me about three years ago and I read it and I thought, this is me all over. I really need to get more rest. I need to do more Sabbath. I need to get more of the rest of God. And then I did nothing about it. And the result was crashing and burning. So I want to ask you two simple questions tonight. Firstly, when should we rest? And then how should we rest? Truth be told, this probably isn't a a very typical sermon. Normally we pick a part of the Bible and we explain what it says and what it means for our lives. Or maybe like last month when we looked at the attributes of God, we, we jumped throughout the Bible and looked at several shorter sections of it. But tonight we're looking at particular questions that the Bible doesn't always address directly. Sometimes it does. The Bible is clear that we should stop. There are a number of other things that it's clear we shouldn't do, but it doesn't tell us necessarily direct, directly what we should do to rest. That's not to say it doesn't have anything to say. It does. We'll look at that. But sometimes it's not immediately obvious. So I perhaps won't quote the Bible as often tonight, but I do want you to know that I'm not just pulling all this from nowhere or from my own brain. Some of what we'll be thinking about is immensely practical and not obviously biblical. But Christians have been thinking about this for 2,000 years, working out what the Old Testament Sabbath means for Christians today and how, how we ought to observe it. And so tonight, this is some kind of attempt on my part to summarize that. We won't have time to do all the legwork from the biblical text and the apostles' teaching but I want you to know that this isn't just a random lecture on how to sleep and eat and whatever else came to my head during the last week. No, this is based on good theology, as well as maybe a little bit of science. To the first question then, when should we rest? You'll probably notice that at no time in this little series has it been said that you must rest on one day every week, on a Sunday, because that's the only way to obey God's Sabbath command. And part of the reason for that is because it's my conviction, and I guess probably the conviction of at least some other folks here, that that Jesus brings us into something greater than the rest of just one day a week. That's not to say the pattern of one day a week is bad. I'm I'm going to go on to talk about that. But it's it's not all we have as Christians. Jesus brings us into something greater. Now, I know many good Christian people who hold that view, that, it, that it's a Sunday, that it's quite strict, that you shouldn't do this and you, you shouldn't do that. And I'm probably, even in the way I'm saying that, I'm not doing them justice. And if this is you tonight, I respectfully disagree, but I'll say two things to you. First of all, it is a clear teaching of Scripture in Romans 14 and elsewhere that if, as you consider the Bible and your conscience convicts you of it, then you should follow your conscience. So another Christians like me need to respect that. So for you, it's a Sunday. I entirely respect that. And the second thing I would say is just because you maybe disagree with me, don't switch off because don't ignore all that's been said in this series because even if you and I disagree on the when, everything else that has been said is still true. But my view for what it's worth is that the Sabbath laws have been completely fulfilled by Jesus. I think the author of Hebrews explains that. And it tells us in Hebrews 4 that Jesus has won for us a Sabbath rest that is not just for one day in the week, but for eternity. Paul also explains this uh, to the Colossians. We looked at this together um, two weeks ago in Colossians 2 and verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival and new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. 
The reality, however, is found in Christ. And we thought about that together. We thought about not adding to the gospel that you need the gospel plus a Sabbath or the gospel plus certain food rules or whatever. We just need the gospel. And if Jesus gives us the fullness of Sabbath rest, and if we know him and his spirit lives in us, then the rest he offers us is actually greater than just one day a week. And again, I'll, I'll give the qualifier again. I'm not saying anything against one day a week. But what he offers us is a lot more. Adam Mabry puts it this way. Because Jesus is our rest, we can enjoy him whenever we like, and we should. I think that pretty much sums it up. In the Old Testament, God's people worked six days a week, sometimes in captivity in very difficult circumstances. And the Sabbath was the one time when they could stop working, go to the temple, be near the presence of God. They couldn't go into the Holy of Holies, but they were there near to it. It was their one chance in the week to do that. But when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was ripped in two from the top to the bottom. The division doesn't exist anymore, and it doesn't exist because Jesus has fulfilled the law, something which we couldn't do ourselves. So we're free from the law, but the law still shows us the moral character of God. Look at what James says in verse 25 of chapter 1. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, so if you continue in the law, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So again, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak against one day and seven. I'm just speaking against us being legalistic about it because we have something greater. With Sabbath rest, the principle is still there. The law shows us how God, how God is morally. He still values life, so it's right that we shouldn't murder. That's a pretty obvious one. And with Sabbath rest, the principle is still there too. We should enjoy rest with God. But as with many of the commands, we're, we're free to obey. We don't free out of compulsion, but we're free to obey. So we're not free from the principle of Sabbath, even if we're free from some of the specifics. We need to embrace regular rest, holy to the Lord. And we definitely shouldn't go so far the other way either and say, well, you know, Jesus has one eternal rest for me, so I just don't need to bother. I hope this little series has shown you that is not the case. We might be free from fulfilling the law ourselves because Jesus has done it for us, but we shouldn't use that freedom to feed our idol of busyness and work and whatever it is for us and ignore that invitation to rest. So if not specifically on a Sunday, well, you might ask, when? And a good principle that has been practiced by Christians for centuries is to rest daily, weekly, and annually or yearly daily, weekly, and yearly. Now, the daily time is, of course, where we have maybe some of an advantage over the Old Testament believers because they didn't have the freedom that we do. They didn't have the scriptures like we do. And the daily time of Bible reading and prayer, it's of great benefit to us. And I know Murray talked about that last Sunday morning, so I won't go over that ground again. But I'm not really talking about a quiet time as such when I say daily what I'm talking about is what some other Christian traditions in the past have called the daily office. It's something that has been practiced down through the ages. It doesn't really matter what you call it, but what it is, it's essentially a way of building small portions into your day, maybe even only a minute or two, just to pause, to pray, to worship, just to breathe, to reflect, to eat, whatever we need to do. And we base this 
really on the example of Jesus. Remember, he often took himself off to pray in remote places between one task and the other. You might recall in John chapter 8, the story of the woman caught in adultery. She was dragged before Jesus. What does Jesus do? He stops. He starts drawing in the ground with his finger. I think I would have wondered what he was doing. Jesus, we've we've brought this woman before you. What are you going to do? No, I'm just going to take my time. Presumably, and it is presumably, he, he was praying. He was thinking about what he was going to do. All these people standing waiting on him, but he wouldn't be rushed. He never rushed anywhere. Jairus' daughter was dying, but he stopped and insisted that he knew who had touched his cloak, just so that he could say to your daughter, your faith has saved you. A regular pattern of stopping until it was the right time to move on. I've heard somebody, you might find this helpful, they've described it like the start-stop technology on a car. You know when you come to a junction and the engine just takes a little rest. I don't know what that looks like for you. It might be organizing your meetings so that there's even just five minutes between them. It might be when you do a particular task that you just sit in the car for a few minutes before you drive home and and pray. When I was uh, at work at Queen's, I had an hour for lunch, um, and the first three quarters or so of that were, were just to eat and be with my colleagues. But for the last 15, I would have taken myself off to probably just an empty lecture room, um, wherever was free. Sometimes I had to walk around a bit to find somewhere. Just take a few moments to reset myself and to pray. What are the practical steps you could take to introduce even just one or two of those moments in your day? Just to reset yourself, maybe listen to a worship song, maybe pray. Well, what about weekly Now, I've said what I've said about Sundays, and I think we shouldn't be slavish about Sundays, but I do think the Sabbath command comes with God's infinite wisdom. I think it's very wise to have a weekly pattern. For a lot of people, it does make a lot of sense to do that on a Sunday. For me, that's not really so much the case. Mine's kind of split across Sunday and Monday. I don't think what I've got is perfect, and actually in preparing this week, I've been really challenged about that. But I know as much as anybody that it's hard, even just one day in seven, having young children, having looming deadlines. Maybe your work or your business just requires your complete attention just now. And there are seasons in our lives where rest is just hard. But they should just be seasons. They should be the exception rather than the rule. I used to think that I couldn't stop I thought I didn't have time to stop. I didn't have time to do all I wanted to do. Never mind to take a day off. But the truth is, when you look at it, we actually have more control over our schedules than we might like to admit. The problem is we've made idols of success or parenthood or money or recognition. But if we really looked at it, we could do it. It might mean getting a slightly lower score in that essay. It might mean that we do miss a sale with that customer. But what we gain from stopping, I hope you've seen it over the last few weeks, it far outweighs anything that you might lose. You'll actually probably find that in resting and recharging, you have more energy, and that means you won't lose out on much at all. And then yearly, or even less often than yearly, it might be less often than that. The basis for this in in Scripture is in Exodus chapter 23, when God tells his people to take a Sabbath year every seven years. 
I think the closest we probably have to this as an equivalent would be a holiday or a sabbatical or something like that. And I know sabbaticals are built into ministry, but I have to say I stumbled across this in my life quite by accident uh, six years ago. I'd booked to go to Romania in December of 2015 uh, with some other people as a reunion of the summer camp that we'd been leading out there. Uh, so I was still working at this stage, and what happened that was that due to various circumstances, the other six people who said they were going with me dropped out one by one, and I was left. I had my flights booked. I was the only person going, and I thought, great, a weekend in snowy Romania. But I decided I'd go anyway, because I have some friends out there. And the reunion actually was, was quite good. It was at an Advent festival, so it was a mixture for me of being with some of my friends, some Hungarian Christians, and being on my own and being at this worship event. My accommodation, I was on my own. But I had time for prayer. I had time for reading and worship. Providentially, my phone broke on the week before I went, so I was using an old phone of my dad's that couldn't access the internet or anything. And all I can say is that it was one of the times in my life when I felt closest to the Lord. It was a wonderful weekend. I'm sure to anybody looking in from the outside, it looked very strange. It was in some ways a strange weekend, but the Lord worked through it. It's unlikely to look exactly like this for everyone, but maybe it's just a few days each year. Maybe it's a day or two at the end of a holiday where you have recharged your batteries, just a day or two to disconnect from your phone, just to dedicate time to the Lord. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant. You don't have to get on a plane to Cluj in December. It could look very ordinary, but just setting aside that time for God is something that you won't regret. Now, I hope those suggestions of daily and weekly and yearly are at least triggering some thoughts in your mind. That's all they're intended to do. I hope some cogs are turning and you're beginning to think about how to practically respond to this series on rest. And so the last thing I want to do is to ask the second question. How should we rest? Now, I suppose this part of the, the talk could be nearly endless since there are so many ways you could do this. So you'll be glad to hear that I'm just going to stick uh, to a few suggestions from Adam Mabry's little book that we've talked about, The Art of Rest. When we rest, we need to sleep. We just need physical rest. Now, that might sound overly obvious, but it's crucial. I know some people who are on their day off, they just don't stop. And they're actually probably even going harder than they are when they are at work. Some of you might be like my wife, Justine, and you just hit the pillow and you're unconscious. I envy you greatly. I cannot tell you how much I envy you. Others of you are like me, and you maybe take an hour on a good night, thinking over everything, trying to get comfortable, getting the right temperature and whatever else. We're tired and, and we can't switch off because we're too busy. Far be it from me to give you any advice on sleep, but there are a number of things that you can do. Cutting screen time before bed, getting a consistent routine, not working too late, simple things like that. And then there's the range of pillows and mattresses you can get. I know nothing about that, but people who sell them swear by them. If you really can't sleep, speaking to your GP is an option, and I am definitely not giving you medical advice, but sometimes that can help. Something I've discovered that works for me is white noise. 
We discovered this a few months ago because we tried it for Rebecca, our baby, who isn't sleeping. It didn't work at all for her, but it knocks me out wonderfully, and now I sleep through it when she wakes up. Sleep is a great gift from God. Some of us have that in fuller measure than others, but sleep in the midst of a busy life is a real gift from God. David knew this gift. He said in Psalm 4, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. We need to rest. And when we rest, we need to read. Resting actually gives us a unique opportunity to read deeply. If, if you have a daily devotion time, you'll probably know that sometimes that can be a bit rushed. That's just life. It can easily become a tick box exercise. Get that done and on to the next thing. But when you actually take time to stop and to rest, it becomes possible to read the Bible or another good book about God just for the enjoyment of it, just to get communion with God with no agenda in an unhurried and unrushed, and I have to say, a deeper way. When's the last time you picked up the Bible? Not because you felt you had to or you should, but just because you wanted to. Just pick a book, maybe Mark or something like that, and, and just read it and enjoy it. No agenda. And the same goes for prayer. When we rest, we need to pray. And when we're resting, this will be unhurried. You'll be amazed at the things you'll pray for, things you wouldn't remember otherwise. Deeper, fuller communion with God. When we rest, we need to do something. Now, this isn't always the case. Sometimes we do just need to stop altogether. But when I say do something, I don't mean anything work-related, and I don't mean the sort of essential jobs around the house, things that need to be done. No, those are for the other six days. I mean do something just for the enjoyment of it. Maybe that's a hobby for you. It's recreation. Maybe it's making something with your hands just for the enjoyment of doing it. Again, not something essential, but just because you can, and indeed you can worship in it something different from the other six days, something to enjoy under God. When we rest, I'm glad about this one, we need to eat well. I agree with Adam Mabry on a very deep level about this. There's so much I, I could say about eating, especially in relation to busyness, because when we're busy, we don't eat well. I am terrible at busy periods in my life. But on a day off, eat well. God could have created us to be like plants who didn't need to eat, but he didn't. He gave us food and good food as a gift. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter two, even the skeptical teacher in Ecclesiastes two says this, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment. Food is a great gift from God. When we rest, we need to eat. And when we rest, we need to sing. Now, you might not be a singer here tonight. You might think that if you sang, people would run away. But singing to God is part of the way we're wired. It, it's embedded all through the scriptures. It's part of the way to enjoy Him on a day off. Maybe you need to turn the music up so loud to drown out your own singing. That's okay. But as rest restores our relationship with God, one of the key things to do that is to sing. Now, of course, there's lots of other things you could do. And as you start to take rest seriously, you'll find that. But again, hopefully these suggestions just get a few ideas going 
in your mind. That brings us to the end of our series on rest. For the next few months, your Sunday evenings are your own because there aren't evening services in the summer months. Maybe you'd want to use those Sunday nights to think through rest, to do some more reading or or to reflect on these four talks. But can I encourage each one of you, at the end of your handout, there's just a few blank lines and it simply says, next steps. Whether you write something tonight or not, whether you even take the sheet away tonight or not, it doesn't matter, but can I encourage each one of you to have a next step? Because I am thoroughly convinced that this idea, this issue of rest is so vital and it's so neglected by so many of us. Maybe your next step would be to investigate this a a bit more, to get hold of the book that we've been working through, The Art of Rest by Adam Mabry. Take your time to, to go through that. It's not a long book. Try to implement some of those things in your time of rest. If this series is a, is a real challenge to you, if it's really come up in your face because you know that you need to make wholesale changes and you don't know where to start, can I suggest that the books by David and Shona Murray, um, it's Reset for the Men, I Think, and Refresh for Women, that they're excellent resources and they're incredibly practical. But whatever you do, don't do nothing. Don't do nothing. You've been looking into a mirror, as James has told us, for these past four weeks. We've delved into our need for rest. We've studied the scriptures. Don't walk away forgetting what you look like. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, working hard for food to eat, but he grants rest to those he loves. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the gift of rest that you give to us. We thank you for the rest that Jesus has ultimately won for us, that we will know fully in the world to come, but that because of his death in our place, we can know even in part now. Lord, we pray that you would, by the empowering of your Spirit, help us to not be hearers of the Word only, but doers. Lord, would you be pleased to show each of us just how we need to stop, how we can commune with you more deeply, and how we might glorify you in our rest. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.